Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Observer's Notebook Podcast, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I am Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook, and also I coordinate the training program within the ALPO. I want to thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication known as the Journal of Association of Lunar Planetary Observers, otherwise known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the Observer's Notebook, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can give as little as a dollar a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook, which is an official pod, uh, uh, handbook of the training program in the ALPO. And for $35 a month, you get one year's membership to the AL and also you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help, help, help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the ALPL, you can for as little as $18 a year. For more information, visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And the Observer's Notebook also has a Facebook page. Just search for Observer's Notebook. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please, 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 please subscribe. That way you never miss an episode of the podcast. And if you really like us, go on to iTunes and give us a five-star review and write up something nice. I'd really appreciate it. And now, this episode of the Observer's Notebook. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook Podcast. We have two special guests today, uh, David and Valerie Whalen. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself before we get into the whole thing? Um, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm electrical engineer. I've uh, been interested in astronomy since I was just a little tyke. My father got me started in it when I was about five years old, and just uh, you know, kept with it. Grew up, spent a lot of time growing up in Florida, where you know I would uh, all of our field trips were to Cape Kennedy. Uh, NASA would come to our school all the time, telling us we're the next generation, that we would be the shuttle pilots of the future, and and uh, it just uh, I guess got the bug, and have been very interested in anything related to outer space ever since. That's good. Now, what about you, Valerie? Um, I guess my first. Uh, adventure into astronomy was uh, I do have vague memories of watching the moon landing on television. I was eight at the time, but I guess the first thing that really stands out for me is the uh, a fifth grade field trip that I went to Ferdbank Science Center here in Atlanta, and uh, their planetarium was putting on a program about the constellations. 
And I remember uh, looking at, at a blank field on the on the screen, and then all of a sudden, all the constellations coming alive across the top of the planetarium, and it was just very exciting, very vivid memory. Um, and I also remember when the lights came up, I was very intrigued, and my fifth grade teacher was asleep. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> now you're the first couple we've had on. So how did you guys meet? Well, we were neighbors. Yeah. yeah after I got out of college, we, I just uh, we just happened to move in, and I uh, was next door to her. <laughs> I owned a condominium next door to him, and he was my neighbor first. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, very good. Oh, okay. Now, you're both members of the Charlie Elliott Astronomy Club? That's correct. Now, this podcast, I think, is starting to become the Charlie Elliott Podcast, because I think you're the fifth members or something like that I've had on. It's pretty wild. <laughs> it's a pretty active group. I'm pretty impressed with the members I've talked to so far. Tell me a little bit about the Charlie El- Elliott Astronomy Club, though. Oh, it, it's a great group. Um, when we very first, we got our first telescope and weren't sure what to do with it, and Valerie uh, stumbled onto them on the internet and uh, just contacted them. And uh, Teo Ramakers was the director at the time. He said, hey, come to the meeting, you know, come on out, we'll hang out. And ever, we've been going ever since, and it's very uh, vibrant. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of help. Uh, everybody wants a lot of outreach being done through that group. Um, lots of talent there. And they've they just been really helped us along. Yeah, they were very, very welcoming and um, encouraged us to just bring uh, whatever scope we had, which at the at the time was just a little 130 SLT, our first scope that I had given David for Christmas. And we were just intrigued with the idea that you could take a scope out onto an observing field and plug some coordinates into it, and it would go and show you whatever it was you were looking for without you having to know where it was. Technology, uh, isn't it great? Isn't it great? <laughs> but, um, since then, our, our telescopes collection has, has grown quite quite a lot. I guess you could say we've been bitten by the aperture bug, and now we have 11 <laughs> scopes. 11 <laughs> scopes? 11 yeah. scopes, right. Oh, my goodness. It's nice to have <laughs> ast- astronomy spouses. Wow. And I've, <laughs> I've committed the uh, cardinal sin of having uh, the telescopes stored in the living room, which I'm uh, to understand from a lot of astronomy wives that you should never do that. <laughs> yeah, I just got a new one a couple weeks ago, and it's sitting in my kitchen right now. My wife keeps looking, how long is this going to be here? <laughs> oh, no, she, she makes me set them up. Put, 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 put the dog in the dining room. You know, it's gonna, <laughs> we're going to have people over. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Wonderful. Um, now... Valerie, you mentioned that it was a planetarium show that really got you into astronomy. Yes. What about you, David? Um, like I said, it was probably my father. Oh, you know, okay. he, he 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 had a little bitty telescope, little refractor, and I remember, you know, being outside in my pajamas. You know, and he says, "Look, this is Saturn." You know, and oh, that's cool, Dad. You know, I want to go to bed. And uh, <laughs> and this this went on for a long time, and uh, I actually accidentally learned some things. So. Now, was your first telescope the one you bought together? Yes, it was. Um, And then I was um, looking on the Internet at the APOD uh, photographs one day and noticed one that was um, photographed at the Deer Lake Astronomy Village here in Georgia and wondered um, how we could get in touch with them. And they were the ones that... Uh, led me to the Charlie Elliott group. So it's it's been a fortunate series of events. Mm-hmm. 
Now you said you have 11 telescopes. What yeah. are they refractors, reflectors, cast cathode optics? Are they a mixture of everything? Yes. Yes. We, we've got, we've got, you know, it, well, when we were doing the astronomical league programs, uh, moving way through, it's like, well, for the Messier program, you can't have any digital assistance. It all has to be pushed to. So we bought our DOB. And then we're doing some others. Well, you know, we needed one to do hydrogen alpha observing. And then we needed a nice refractor to do. So we just kept buying them for different purposes. Of course, and, yes. And of course, getting rid of a telescope is, is a sin that cannot be forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. No radio telescopes yet? Uh, he David is working on the radio telescope mm -hmm. uh, program yeah. at the, currently, so he did most recently build a dish. Oh <laughs> my goodness! And that's going on your roof or something? <laughs> no, it wasn't that big yet. Okay, that's wonderful. Now you're big into astrophotography. I've I've tinkled around on your uh, um, Facebook page, and I see some very nice photographs on there. What kind of equipment do you use for astrophotography? Oh well, thanks. It it's. I, for the planetary, I've I've put uh, just a little ZWO camera in my um, in my 11 inch SCT. Uh, all my other deep skies have been using Explore Scientific uh, 127 with just with a DSLR unmodified DSLR camera. But um, but really my the bulk of my time is spent in visual observing. I I, I like I like the astrophotography. It's just uh, time under the skies is so precious, and we're, we've been working heavily on these uh, observing programs that I've, my AP has taken a back seat. And that actually is the reason why I wanted to talk to you, is uh, the Astronomical League. It, most of you know that it's a uh, group of astronomy clubs throughout the country, and they have different observing programs that you can do. And the two of you just received the Master Observer Award, correct? Or recently. That's mm -hmm. now, now talk to me about what you had to go through in the different programs that you did. Um, well, we, as the master uh, requirements set out, you have five programs that you're required to do, and then five electives that you can choose your interest from there. Um, and for us, it became an issue of, <clears throat> excuse me, timing, because if one scope was meant to do one thing and one scope was meant to do another, we, we had to make sure that we shared time on those scopes <laughs> and didn't overlap. Um, no, so, I, I hate to tell you, you can see deep sky objects with a refractor, too. <laughs> you really can. <laughs> the Messier program required that we have no digital assistance. Well, you, so you can turn that off, right? If one of us was working on that and, and the other one needed the job, we had to schedule around each other. I see. Okay. <laughs> so what, what were the programs that you did? Um, well, we did the um, lunar program. And the, what, is, what, is, what is the lunar program? Well, the, uh, some of the requirements. I mean, the first, uh, the lunar is you have to look at 100 features on the surface of the moon. You have to like, locate them look at them and more or less check them off. And that's probably one of the most basic programs in the AL mm -hmm. and a very rewarding one to get started with. Mm -hmm. Do you have to make sketches of them or just check them off a list? No, not in the Lunar 1, no. Just a little description. You don't have to draw anything. Okay. But the Lunar 1. Now, if you want to progress to the Lunar 2 program, then yes, there, there's a lot of sketching involved in that to sketch different, and different craters at different times of you know, the lunar cycle. Okay. And that, that's much more involved. 
But I did that one too, but that's so. all right. But the Center One program is required. It's a requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so is the Double Star program, where you have to locate, split, describe, and draw a uh, hundred double stars. Oh, that's that's good. I like that. Then you got to do the Messier program, which is to using no digital assistance, use a push to device and hunt down and all hundred and ten Messier objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to do the binocular Messier, which is 60 objects that all have to be done with binoculars, and that's a, and that that's a little more interesting. Um, what kind of binoculars did you use for that? We we use a pair of uh, 15 by 70. I imagine you bought a special pair just for that, right? Yeah, we tried to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and now we when we've since got another pair. We and we got some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want I want your telescope budget. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I guess that the the real the the real hurdle in the requirements there is the Herschel 400, where you have to observe uh, and describe 400 of the objects that uh, William Herschel discovered, and those are a whole different animal. Um, and that that takes that's a a real effort. Is that without go to as well? Yes, you can use GoTo on yes. that. In fact, you you pretty much need it. Yeah, you can do whatever you want on that one. Okay. <laughs> and, and to document them, you just write a short description of each object. Right. Yeah, and they and they require different programs require different uh, things to be recorded. I mean, everything is uh, the time and date and and seeing conditions and things like that. And but if on the Herschel, it's just a, a basic description of what you see. Some of them you have to like on the globular cluster program. You got to describe the the globular cluster and give its uh, Shapley Sawyer concentration class. On the open cluster program, they want you to use the Trumpler class in identifying different features. So each program has a little unique twist to it. So you're doing a little science along the way. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and some of the some of the more I, I don't want to call them simplistic, but some of some of the more easily attained programs like uh, the solar system program. You have to look at Jupiter and plot its moons every day for a full cycle, which is about 17 days. And I tell you, after doing that, it's just really interesting. You know, you look at Jupiter a lot and say, wow, that's fantastic. But when you when you study how the moons are moving over a two-and-a-half-week period, and, you know, and when you're done drawing a little picture, it almost looks like that sinusoidal thing you see in sky and telescope, and you say, hey, I did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the most amazing things I first saw when I was young was a Galilean eclipse. Right. Where, yeah. where the moon is there and it's gone because it's gone mm-hmm. behind the shadow of Jupiter and it's just wow, there's motion going on and I actually saw it through my telescope. Mm-hmm. That's And you could do that with a really small telescope. Right. We've done that at, at outreach events too. We'll have a whole bunch of kids out there and during the evening there'll be always be one kid. You know, There'll be a whole school of kids out there running around chasing, but there'll be one that's always really interested, and we've had him at, a, at an outreach where a moon was approaching a limb, and he kept coming back and come back and begging his parents, can I stay a little later? I want to see it disappear. <laughs> and it was really neat. That's very cool. Now, you said there's you have to complete five of these programs to get the uh, Master Observer Award? Well, there's five, five requirements. Oh, five requirements. Then have, right. Then you have to uh, achieve five more. Oh, okay. Uh, out of the list, there's 50 or so right now, and you pick five more that you need to complete. So for a total of 10 to achieve a master. Now, how did you how did you tackle these? Did you do them one at a time? 
Nah, some of them overlap. Some, some uh, like it, it's not a big deal to do the double star program and the Messier at the same time because uh, you pick the right time you know, of year. Sky, you know, you, it doesn't take you a whole night to clean out the sky for the objects that are available at that moment. And different re uh, programs require different um, aspects of the sky anyway. Like you don't need pristine skies to look at double stars, but you need very, very dark skies to see the Messiers or the Herschels, for example. So what we would do is look at the, um, the set of doubles that we had to do and then uh, in the early evening and then progress into the Messier and then to the Herschels if we were overlapping any of those um, things. But we were very careful throughout the duration of our pursuit of the Masters not to what they call piggyback in the AL world, which was to have one of us look at something and the other just look in the scope and, and take advantage of that and say, yeah, I saw it too. Because they, they, especially with the Messiers, the whole point of that program is to teach you the sky. And so what they want you to do is push the daub to the object yourself, find it yourself by star hopping. And so it just so happened that during the process of, of my uh, working on the Messiers, um, my 90-pound Rottweiler decided that my fingers no longer needed to be attached to my hand. She broke my hand, and I was in a cast for oh, no. 14 weeks and could not uh, write. Uh, it was my right hand. Couldn't write, and uh, so I couldn't even push the daub around. So I had to stop that program, and that's when David started up with that program. And I had to stop and come back later um, and just use an audio recorder to even get my observations recorded. <laughs> but um, we were very careful not to make uh, the mistake of, of doing the same program at the same time because the AL has very strict rules about that. With 11 telescopes, I'm sure that wasn't a problem. <laughs> <laughs> we tried not to. Yeah. Well, we didn't have that many then. It was, yeah, it's grown. Because uh, once we got the masters, uh, these, these programs for us were kind of like potato chips, you know. I mean, but we finished the 10, and I said, well, that can't be all there is. And, of course, there's 50 programs. And so we kept kept rolling. And, uh, it's it, fantastic. It, it, it gives you a goal to take the telescope out. It's absolutely, and it, it the 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 Messier programs taught us the sky, and you know we really got away from many of the electronic stuff, and we're just using Dobbs and binoculars for a while, and we learned the constellations, we learned star hopping, we know where all, we know where these things are, and now all now all of a sudden you know we don't feel like novices, we know where things are, so that got us to start trying these more difficult programs, and. Uh, you know, then, then of course we have a pretty friendly competition going on between Valerie and myself, as well as this other lady, uh, Marie Lott, in our group. Uh, we've been kind of having a kind of having a tongue-in-cheek competition on this for several years uh, to see who could bag more programs. Marie is a master as well, um, but we mm -hmm. actually we got started with this through the encouragement mm -hmm. of Art Zorka who was a, a master observer when 
we first started going out to Charlie Elliott, and it was his encouragement and his inspiration that led us to get out under the stars and start looking at things other than Jupiter and Saturn for the millionth time, which are beautiful to look at, but you can't look at them, just mm-hmm. only them. Yeah, and Art was Master Observer number 119. Unfortunately, he passed away uh, several years ago, but uh, he, he set us off on the path. It's good, and it's then, good to have uh, a mentor like that. Yes, it was. It was. And we also came across a um, a Sky and Telescope uh, article that was written by Ted Forte. And I wanted to say thank you to him because it was his article of our observing programs for you that really spurned us into uh, wanting to do um, planned observing and and scheduled these around these different events so that we made sure that we would see these things, see see this comet or watch the retrograde of Mars or uh, whatever. He had a very nice article and I remember saying to David, I want some of the pens because <laughs> he had a picture of all of his mm-hmm. pens in, in the article and it was he was quite inspiring as well. That's fantastic. That, now, uh, how many total programs have each of you done? Well, I've done 35 now, and Valerie's done 20. 21. Oh, that's because she had a broken hand, though. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't think I don't hear about it. <laughs> very good, very good. Now, okay, out of, out of those, Valerie, which one was the most rewarding? Um. I would have to say, as a surprise, I thought the double stars were quite fun. After I got into a rhythm of knowing what to look for for each one and and uh, how to describe each of those, it, that turned out to be quite fun, relying on my old geometry classes. But um, since then, I've done the uh, just finished the Planetary Nebula program, which I find those to be fascinating to look at, um, you know, and thinking about our own solar system and its um, evolution into that point one day. And um, I've really loved that program. And, of course, there were several of those that were quite difficult to find. I was lucky to find a a nice gentleman that loaned me a 24-inch daub at the Peach State Stargaze this year in order to find the last few that I needed um, but it was probably that, um, the planetary nebula and the double stars that I found very fun. Okay, what, what about you, David? You know, it was the sketching program, which I would never have guessed. And I was terrified to begin it. And, and in order to move in the progression to a silver level master, I had to do it. And I thought, oh, I didn't want to do it. And after I got started and drew something that, you know, was passable, I started getting excited. And um, I really enjoyed it. And now a lot of the programs require some level of sketching, and I look forward to them instead of, you know, being afraid of them. That's fantastic. Now, are you familiar with the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers? Yes. We have a training program, and I coordinate that. And it's basically sketching anything you want, moon, the planets. And it's a program you go through, and at the end you become – you graduate as a novice observer or observer status. I'm sorry. So if you're interested in going through that, you know, I could hook you up. Hey, all right. If you're looking for something else to do with your telescopes, <laughs> always. Now, always. what program out there that you did that you 
hated to go to the telescope to. Was there one? Oh, I don't want to insult anybody in the, a in, in the AL, but I got to tell you, the, the binocular deep sky program. <laughs> because I, I thought there, there are so many objects that you could see with a pair of binoculars, that, and I thought that would be a wonderful program to do. And out of the 60 objects, it's 59 open clusters in one galaxy. <laughs> I got so sick and tired of hunting down dim open clusters with binoculars when, you know, I'm passing by the Orion Nebula looking for some lame cluster. It might be, it might be four stars loosely grouped together, right? Oh, they were, some of them were pitiful. <laughs> yeah, and and, uh, and there was just, it, I, I just really think that that program could use a lot more, uh, a lot more variety. Okay. Right. How, 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 about, how about you, Valerie? Um, I didn't really have any that I hated. I, well, you I, haven't done as many yet either, so that could be. It's it just probably my least favorite, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, was the urban program mm -hmm. because the objects that were in it were things that I had already looked at in dark skies and, and I realized just how much the light pollution can damage that view and so while I knew what I was looking for and what I was looking at it just it just something took away from it and I felt more like having to go um, in more in a robotic type of yes this is this open cluster yes this is this galaxy but boy it sure does look terrible <laughs> yeah, what just, is the urban program the, the urban program is to look for uh is it 60 or 100 um i believe it was 100 I think it's a hundred wonderful deep sky objects bright enough to be seen from a light polluted area which we live in a horribly light polluted area and so the idea is to, is to show that you can, in fact, see some deep sky objects in, in an urban setting. It's so disappointing. Mm -hmm. you, know. The, you know, the objects that you're looking at deserve so much of a better uh, mm -hmm. view than what, we, what the light polluted area gave to them. But that was the point of the program, was to show that there are still some things, deep sky objects, that you can see even from a, uh, a, a very... Um, polluted area. Okay, what did you learn along the way? Plan your observing. Uh, know what you want to see and and get as much homework done out of the way before you go um, because once you get out there you don't want to be fiddling around with your, your, your notes or whatever trying to figure out now what am I supposed to do you know Look at what you're supposed to do before you go, because the the time under the sky is premium, so you don't want to waste that. Okay. How about you, David? No, oh, I was hoping you were going to skip me on that. <laughs> <laughs> what have I learned? Um, well, what she's saying about, you know, to get the most out of your observing, we, we spend way more time, I spend way more time here at the house preparing and afterwards, uh, you know, cleaning up my notes than I do actually looking through an eyepiece, but that's to get the mo that's to really maximize the time on the field. Um, but I think that the thing we learn most is that uh, you can do this. I mean, you you we learned how you know right ascension and declination means. It, it was it's not it's not a magical word. It's not it's not something that only scientists can understand. And we learn you know how how you can see the sky change night to night and season to season. And if you miss it, the movie repeats again, you know, next year. 
And it's just, you know, we learn so much that we as amateurs can observe and see for ourselves and not just have to rely on pictures off of, off of uh, Google. That's very good. How long did it take you to go through the program to get to, get to the observer status, the observe, Master Observer Award? To get to the Master status was four, four years? Well, I started in July of 2014, mm -hmm. and, and the uh, Master status was awarded in September of 2016, so just over two years. Two years, three years, yes. And we, we were working on some before then, but not really so much in earnest. Um, it was Art who, who Art Zorka who said, start writing your observations down. And at that point, um, when we first did the lunar program, that was my first program, um, I you know, made sure that I marked dates and times and that sort of thing um, at his behest because he said, you know, everybody in the club gets out there and looks at these things all the time, but not everybody makes the notes, and that's the difference between um, just looking and being the master observer, is writing down what you're seeing. That's true, that makes you an observer. Mm -hmm. Very good, yeah, I, I recently, in fact, this week I talked to Don Mackholtz about his 12th comet discovery, and of course he's telling me it was 746 hours since his last discovery in eight years and all, and he does that he, every night when he goes out. He writes mm -hmm. out the, where he looks in the sky, how long he spent, where his sweeps were. I mean, that's that's how a guy discovers 12 comets, knowing what to right. look at, you know. So it's, it's I, you can't stress that enough is write down what you see. Right. Write down what you're looking at, because that's, you know, it, 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 it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And to go back later, I told him I want to look at his records going back <laughs> all these years. He's been, he's been searching for comets for 45 years. And it's just, wow. And he's got records going back that far. Wow. But we we do the same though. I mean, ours ours isn't near that that involved. But we since we have written it down, we do have are creating libraries of these things. And I've gone back and looked at my notes for a certain program. And I said, well, what what did I say about it? You know, two years ago, and we have it. And it's really nice to look back and see what aperture you used and and how how maybe your equipment has changed or maybe you remembered. You know, you did something that was nice to remember now. And uh, it, it's very helpful. It's great. It's also been helpful for me, <clears throat> excuse me, to have David's uh, three years in the club as observing director um, because he would spend quite a lot of time getting um, presentations ready for the club and uh, telling them that they needed to be aware of this or that that was coming up. And I was able to take that to my advantage and know that, okay, I could work this into my next observing session. I need to see this, 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 and this. So it was helpful having being married to the observing <laughs> director. That's good. He did your homework for you then, huh? Right. <laughs> he helped. Yeah, I like that. So you're very, you, are you both very involved with the uh, Charlie Elliott Club now? Oh, we have been. We, I've kind of retired at the moment. Uh, Valerie, was, she was uh, the outreach coordinator for a term and then club secretary. And I spent three years observing supervisor. Now I, I'm the uh, liaison. I'm the, uh, the club liaison to the Astronomical League right now. <laughs> that, that makes complete sense. I'm sure you've motivated others within the club to, because it sounds like a pretty large organization. To, to well, it's not a little motivation. Valerie uh, spent a year teaching one of the court, one of the classes, one one of the best programs that, that somebody should try as a beginner is the Constellation Hunter, where you have to hunt down 
and sketch, draw you know, draw the star patterns and the constellations and name all of the major stars in 39 of the constellations that you can see from the Northern Hemisphere. And it was really a wonderful thing to do, because first of all, it's a naked eye thing you do out there with a tablet, and, and it's just no problem. Um, well, we learned so much from it, Valerie took it upon herself to offer it as a course and taught it to a group of people for a year. Every month she went out and met with the group and she, you know, helped, helped them out. And when they were done, they all, they all received uh, certificates and pins from the Astronomical League. Oh, fantastic. So you, yeah, what, you, you worked them through their, their merit badge, basically. <laughs> Correct. I, I had um, the, the gracious permission of Cliff Migat, who is the coordinator for that program, and um, he gave me permission to teach it as a group because it's designed to be done as a self-taught, on a self-taught basis. So what I did was have the group sit down, um, have them bring long chairs and a clipboard and a, a pencil and a light, a red light, and we would just sit there under the stars and I would point out the constellation to them and they had maps of the constellation and they would circle those stars that they were seeing and they would look at it and then they would take that home and draw it from, from their notes. And um, they were able to complete the, the 39 required um, constellations. They did a 40th one, and then they did one of their choice. Um, so they, they went above and beyond. We had 11 people that started that program, and we had six in the group that finished together. And then a seventh member who, uh, through family obligations, wasn't able to stay with some of the meetings. So he is still, to his credit, trying to finish that and should be finished next month. So that would be seven of the 11 that started um, managed to get their first AL pin together. And it was it was very rewarding watching them um, come along. They were a little timid and unsure of themselves in the beginning not knowing if they, this was something that they could do. And by the end of it, they were encouraging each other. It was quite a camaraderie going on between them all. And, and um, it was exciting to watch them go from looking at what they thought were white dots on a black background to arguing whether or not this star belonged to Taurus or to Orion or... <laughs> It was it was fun. That's great. Was there any mythology involved, or was it just the star locations? Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit. What yeah. if I happen to know uh, this, that, or the other from from having learned it myself? But um, basically, what I gave them were landmarks and ways to remember those landmarks, so that they could find those things again. And you know, uh, looking for. Um, just various things that would help associate one star with the, the patterns that they were looking for. And um, yeah. I, I broke it up into 12 meetings. We did three to four, sometimes five uh, constellations a month and um, sat out there and wrecked all the astrophotography guys' images because of the green laser that was always going on the field. So our astrophotographers were very gracious for a year in allowing us to um, be pointing that around, but it was a lot of fun. Now it's this is an official uh, astronomical league. Um, yes, it's the, award? yes, it's the Constellation Hunter Northern Sky Award, okay. and uh, 
Yeah. That sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was the first of its type done as a, uh, a taught as a class. Um, I've heard of uh, astronomy groups doing constellation um, classes to the public, but uh, of course you have to be a league member to actually complete uh, the program. So this was the first of its type to where the, the, they submitted drawings. And Cliff Mind was very helpful with that because we had um, 41 drawings from, you know, seven or six folks, and uh, that was a lot to look through. So he was very helpful with that. That's great. So what's next for you two? Um, well, we just got back from a trip to Arizona. <laughs> it may be that it's a move because we were able to see for the first time some of the skies out west that we just cannot see here in the soupy southeast. And um, it, I, I envision us at some point of being under the western skies yeah, yeah, I, know, I know a lot of astronomers. In fact, when I talked to Don, he's selling his house in Northern California and moving to Arizona. So mm-hmm. it, it's 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 the place to go. The dark skies are still there. Sure. Yeah, for me, uh, more more short term though. The the Astronomical League uh, changed their progressions for for the longest time. The Master Observer Award was the was the award. You you get a lot of pins. You hit the master and you were you were done. You can go on if you wanted. But they changed the progressions, and they added an advanced observer, then a master silver, master gold, and master platinum levels. And so, you know, if they've got a level, you got to chase it. <laughs> this is true. It's uh, yeah, I, I've got, I, I'm submitted for the gold now. I, I've, I've achieved that, but you know, there's a platinum, so I'll have to keep and keep plat- digging. You, prob- you probably need two or three other telescopes to get there. At least, yeah. Yeah. well, well platinum. But one of the requirements of platinum is to complete the radio astronomy program. Uh-huh. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's very good. So, is there any other information you'd like to share with our listeners about the observing program? I'd say uh, go go out there and start. You know, get get out there, point a telescope at the moon, uh, download their checklist off their website, and uh, start. Submit it. Get a pin and take off. You know. You can do it. Yes, it, very much so. It's 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 so designed to be self-taught. You can do this even if you don't come from a scientific background. They make it uh, easy enough, and especially on those um, beginning programs where you can learn with the um, modest equipment, and it, it's great. And and really, their their lists. Uh, of of program are wonderful because they they give you a structured observing. You can plan ahead. You got a list of targets. You can go out and you can really take advantage of of your time under the skies instead of just mumbling around wondering what you're going to look at next. It's true, and I know some of our listeners out there have a telescope that's sitting in a closet or in a garage, and it's been there for years, and they just don't know what to do with it. And this these are programs mm-hmm. that actually give you some reward at the end. Absolutely, so, and once once you once you have a pin sitting there, you're or on your lapel. You're like, well, one's nice, but I need one on the other side. You know? <laughs> and then I want to be a master. Now, yeah. now a platinum master. Oh my goodness! <laughs> the site has them broken. The program's broken out to in um, as far as your level of expertise and uh, beginner and intermediate. You know, and so I would say 
to look at that and also to look uh, they I believe they have them broken up by equipment mm-hmm. need as well so if if you have binoculars there you can now earn a binocular master um, there's a program uh, progression for that or if you have just even the most modest telescope there just start and you you'll be amazed at what you manage to teach yourself um, we, the first time that we went out, we were trying to find Andromeda, and we didn't even know where to begin. And, and I remember one of the members saying, oh, we'll find the great yeah, square. Yeah, the great square. Go three down and two over. And, you know, what square? <laughs> you know, and now it's like I, I can pick it out without even trying so uh, it just it's amazing what we've learned we feel like we aren't novices anymore and it's been wonderful that's great now uh, as a closing for the podcast i've started to do are you familiar with the tv show inside the actor studio no. I take that as a no. Okay. Well, they have a standard questions that they ask everybody that comes on. And so I've come up with a series of 10 questions that I'd like to ask each of you individually, okay? Okay. All right. And some of them are astronomy related and some are not. So right. it's just to get to know our guests a little bit better. I'll start with Valerie. Okay. On a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you? Mm. <laughs> about a 5. About a 5. How about you, David? Oh, probably an 8. 8. <laughs> There's always one. Okay, that's good. I'll say. I like that. David, what's the? F- oh, this is probably goes for the two of you because you've been together for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. What's the furthest you've traveled for an astronomical event? For astronomical for an event, uh, could probably the eclipse. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that far, but we had to get up at two o'clock in the morning to beat the traffic, and uh, it, it was only about three hours from here. That's the 2017 total solar. Yes. Yes. And how was the traffic coming back? Going up was easy. Yes. It, it, was, it was an hour and a half up and seven hours back. I can relate. Yes, I went up to Oregon, and I went 100 miles in 10 hours. Yep. <laughs> it was not fun. All right. Um, let's see. Where is your go-to order? Well, what, what's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Favorite hometown restaurant? Um, Matthew's probably. Well, Chick-fil-A. Got to give them a plug. (laughs) (laughs) Love that stuff. Okay. Uh, um, Or Slotsky's. But that's not. But that's fast food, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, th- I'm thinking hometown. I'm thinking. You know, yeah, I'm thinking Matthews. Matthews there, there's, there's, this, there's this cafeteria right, right nearby that was built in 1951, and we go over there and it's chock full of old people, and we feel. <laughs> so what do you what do you order? Oh, whatever they got. Uh, Fried chicken and mashed potatoes. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the roast beef. There you go. All right, meat and potatoes can't go wrong. What's your most memorable astronomical event? The eclipse. Yep. The 2017, 2017 eclipse. eclipse. Was that your first? Yes. Yes. And you're looking and forward we got, to we, the next one, right? We got right under totality. We were right there. We had, you know, it was it was fantastic. That's great. Uh, are there any tools or books that have really helped you on your astronomical journey? Mm. We've read a lot of books. Um, um I mean, I definitely absorbed uh, Sky and Telescope and and uh, Astronomy Magazine every month. But uh, I think Burnham's Celestial Handbook it was just a 
fantastic book that I've read. Okay, what about you, Valerie? Um, I would say the same. He he recently came across a copy of it, uh, the the three volume copy, and it, it was just amazing the photographs in there, the technology at that point, um, and how far that we've come today. But um, yeah, I. I had for a long time been saying that I wanted to create some sort of right ascension clock so that I could know exactly uh, what it was that I wanted to see in the uh, the um, 30 to 45 degree area of the eastern sky and flipped open the book and there it was. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. Uh, if you were stranded on a dark site, deserted island, what telescope would you want? You'd only have one. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Valerie? My 16-inch daub. Yeah? Yeah. Why? Because the first time that we took it out, we had been uh, looking at galaxies for quite a while, and a favorite of mine was the Whirlpool in Ursa Major. And while we could see it, the, the bigger aperture just let us almost see through it, just like you could reach through the eyepiece and touch it. It was just great. Fantastic. What about you, David? Would I have batteries available? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Probably my 11-inch SCT. Yeah, and why would, why would that be? Yeah, that's been my workhorse, I and mean, we, we've seen more objects through it than anything else. And I, I like I like the F10. I mean, well, the daubs are, are fantastic for looking at larger objects. I I really enjoy hunting down the the uh, galaxies and globular clusters. And I mean, nothing. The globular clusters just look after you've looked at them. At, you know, with the 11 inch at F10, going down to a 4.5 or an F5 seems disappointing to me. Okay. That sounds fair. Uh, if you were stranded on a dark site deserted island, what music would you want? David. Me? Yeah. Oh, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. Dark Pink Side Floyd. of the Moon, right? Yep. You got that, that or any of the other albums. You bet. All right. What about you, Valerie? Um, Acoustic Alchemy. Love that band. Really? Jazz band. Really? British jazz band. Yay, Greg Carmichael. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I have to look that one up. What advice would you give the 12 year old you on life? Um, Come on, David. 12 year old me. Yeah. Be don't touch that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say don't touch that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you heard that. Don't take too many things very seriously. And, and get out under the stars because it gives you perspective. I love it. Come on, David, give me one. No, I got to do something real, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say I'd probably tell me to have more fun. Okay. I mean, I, I was really I was really kind of a nerd a lot and then went off to Georgia Tech to be an engineer. I thought the, the right way to do that was to be real stuffy and real, real be a bookworm. And I just, I think I could have had... Uh, I could have spent more time going out looking up than uh, than studying. I mean, I, I learned ridiculous amounts of things I've never used since I got out of school. Okay, Valerie. Mm-hmm. Cake or pie? Cake. What kind? Chocolate. Chocolate. Anything chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> David. Oh, pie. What kind? 
pumpkin. Really? Just homemade pumpkin? Yeah. Like? Yeah. So you 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 love Thanksgiving time? Yeah, and I only get to eat it once a year because the rest of the year I have to eat cake. <laughs> <laughs> if Mama's happy, the house is happy. <laughs> That's the way it is. That's right. All right, and the last one: Who has had the single most influence in regard to astronomy? Mm, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one. We had so many people at, at, at the Charlie Elliott group that have been have been so good to be around. Mm-hmm. We're very fortunate to have a very vibrant club. Well, that's good. I've, that's but, that's a repeat thing I hear about that group. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of folks there that are there now that are great fun to be around. We've got a lot of a lot of friends. Um, well, if it didn't have to be locally, I'd, I'd say uh, Carl Sagan. Ah. I really, when I, when I was when I was about young teen, that's when his Cosmos series was on, and my father would make us watch it every night, you know, every every week when it came on. It was it just, you know, it was great. Yeah, I saw him at UCLA when I was in high school, and that changed my life. He was mm-hmm. he was an amazing speaker, amazing speaker. That's wonderful. Well, I really want, do you guys have anything else you want to add? No, thank you for having us on. This has been fun. Good, good, good. Now, how can everybody get a hold of you? Well, we, we actually, we were really surprised that you wanted to talk to us, to tell you the truth, because I, I don't think we're unique in any other than the fact that we're married. It, it, I mean, there's lots of people doing what we do. Lots of, and, lots of female um, uh, master observers as well, so, you know. It just so happened that we live in the same house. <laughs> well, um, and you have 11 telescopes, and so not everybody can say that. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, the best way would be through the Charlie Elliott Facebook page. It's an open page, public page, um, and we are both members there. So if you are um, on Facebook, Charlie Elliott Astronomy. Okay, and I will add a link to that in the show notes where if anybody's interested, they can just go there and find out about it. Great. All right, well, I want to thank you two for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Observer's Notebook. I really want to thank our special guests. Uh, First time I think we've ever had two guests on at the same time. Uh, David and Valerie Whalen to coming on, coming on and talking about the Astronomical League and how they became the Master Observer Award winners for that organization. Thank you very much, David and Valerie. We upload new episodes of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and re- review us. I really appreciate it. You can now listen to us on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and even that funny cylindrical thing that listens to everything you say in your house. Yes, the Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give up to $35 a month where we receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank our continued producer of the podcast, Steve Seedentop, for his generous support of the Observer's Notebook. Thank you very much, Steve. The link for Patreon as well as the link for the ALPO is in the show notes down below. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope is that you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you for listening.